Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Gatorade G2 of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Rest from Leviathan's New Cat Cafe, opening now in San Francisco. And I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Muammar Gaddafi's Vengeful Ghost. <laughs> He's probably allowed in the Cat Cafe. I, I was gonna say, yeah, he yeah, spotted at the Cat Cafe. <laughs> I think I think that's eventually what will happen to rest. I, I bet that'll happen to all the old, um, like California USBM guys. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll be like a joint operation between rest, um, Neil from Krieg, and uh, oh god, and uh, Blake Judd from Nocmistium. They'll all get I, together and they'll open a cat cafe. I think rest. Credit where credit is due. I think Rest is pretty distant from those dudes, like, socially. I think he's... I get the impression that he's a uh, a cooler person than his music is. Well, he got canceled, so... Exactly, I mean, he got I'm, canceled big time, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so he probably got... Uh, he probably was friends with with Neil that, from Krieg before he made his face turn and started writing for Decibel. Yeah. Well... <laughs> uh, man, you were reading me some real dreck from fucking uh, zero tolerance, right? That used to be that used to be the last bastion of print metal journalism. Yeah, I saw that. It was, I, I was just on fucking Facebook, and you know, Repose uh, was you know just saying like, "Hey, we got a good review from zero sure, tolerance," sure. and I, I was so close to just saying, "Yeah, you know, I didn't because Repose." I mean, these those are super cool guys, but I was just like, "Yeah, so is this like a metal album?" Yeah. What kind of I mean, music is this exactly? Oh, just because yeah, from the review it's impossible to tell. Yeah. Oh yeah, it could it could be literally anything. It could it could be just like a, a an old found recording of like African tribal drumming and the review would apply. The review is basically well. like it's it's loud and it sounds cool. <laughs> it's a, a very complicated Anthony Fantano review. all right so but before we before we spend an entire episode just uh shitting on journos um we should probably do our show instead so uh real quick uh news segment not really part of the terminus co-prosperity sphere but i stumbled across this and i as soon as the first note was played i started cackling out loud uh this is a new slam group uh from i believe uh, uh, Manchester, England, which some people are now calling Slamchester. I was just about nice. to make that dumb joke. <laughs> Apparently it's a thing. So I think it's a two-piece. They're called uh, 357 Homicide. And uh, they got a new EP coming out. Premiered this track on Slam Worldwide. Uh, and this is called Civilian Incursion. And we're just going to listen to like the first half of it. And boy, am I excited for this release. This is just right. so much fun.
It's so fun. I love this. So uh, this is that cephalotripsy style? That's very that's very cephalotripsy and uh, like the first devourment record and a lot of just like very old forgotten stuff. Like you honestly just don't really hear super raw slam like that so much anymore. I mean, slam in a lot of places kind of went in a deathcorey direction where it was, you know, more polish, um, you know, cleaner, bigger production stereotypically. Mm. But this sounds heavier than any of that shit. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty dirty. Um, also, you can dance to it like a goblin hopping from one foot to the other. Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely goblin dance music. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's just. Like, you can imagine my reaction when I heard this was just like, oh, this yeah, is yeah. just, this is just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, this, it's like, so, sometimes with those things, I get it. Yeah, you, you play me something like this, and I'm just like, I think I, I think if I put myself in the death metal guy's position, I understand why he likes this, but how does a person it's, listen to this? Well, it's the, it, the same way when you hear, um, uh, a really clanging black metal band with like a boring riff that you still love. And they're just kind of like, they're just kind of whacking at the snare, you know, like not even a blast beat. They're just like hitting it pretty fast. That's the same feeling you get, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get when, 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 yes. When I listen to this. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I know what you mean. Um, all right, so uh, usual housekeeping, social media. Uh, follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And uh, if you're feeling frisky, feel free to support us by subscribing on Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, where you can mingle with the other Terminators and uh, discuss screenshots of Zero Tolerance reviews and ideas for theoretical bands that you may or may not start in the future. Which is kind of like a... That feels like a classic metalhead thing to do. It's like, well, oh, what if, if we had a radical band? You've already started it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, the, at this point, the whole idea of like making music, recording it—that's all extra. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, well, we got a uh, we've got a returning feature on the show from the very early days. So uh, you uh, you start us up with our uh, with our rundown. We lead off today with the return of Ancient Gate from Argentina. This is Forgotten Dark Age. Uh, and it is, there's a forthcoming CD uh, on Hessian Firm in November. Obviously, this is on, you know, post COVID mail times and whatnot, <laughs> right? So, uh, but it is out digitally now. Um, I believe it is Pay What You Want on Bandcamp. Um, I, I got it. Um, and uh, it should still be. Just double checking. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, we, this is one of the first bands we, this was the review that uh, broke Terminus last year. So uh, we've, uh, happy to follow up. It's the, uh, the band that propelled us to stardom in the world of Extreme Metal Podcast. Um, all right. So uh, next up, we've got uh, the new record by Abyss Cult. Uh, titled Fergie Yang out on Solitude Productions. Uh, if you guys are in the know and you hear that label's name, you know what to expect. This is a Russian funeral doom project with some uh, 
kind of eccentric uh, ambient and folk elements tucked away in there. So uh, we'll definitely be uh, taking a deep dive on that and figuring out exactly how it works. Uh, oh, and we're doing the sandwich. I know you hate that, but I love the sandwich. So <laughs> after... Disgusting. Uh, disgusting. After our interlude... Uh, Oh, well, we got to bring back more Brutal Death Metal. So I've got the new record by Perverted Dexterity, titled Alacrity for Contemptuous Dissonance. This is out on Brutal Mind. Uh, this is a two-piece from Indonesia, I believe. Uh, we were talking about uh, Indonesian Brutal Death a little bit a couple shows ago when we covered mm -hmm. the Devoured record. And now uh, you get to hear an example of it, you know, just what they're doing now in that scene over there. Yep. And, uh... Finally, it is me again with uh, Foss Ayla on, uh, on Sunshine Ward with uh, Abnegation Psalms is the record. Uh, Sunshine Ward is a pretty cool label that I've been following for a while. I don't know that we've ever done a full review of one of their releases. So uh, No, we've just covered them on like news and stuff. Yeah, so stoked to do that. And Foss Ayla is, uh, I suppose you could say Swedish Black Death is the general direction, but... Uh, it's, uh, I'll say it again on the review, but this one is, uh, wild. All right, and we are, uh, diving into the first review with, uh, Ancient Gates, Forgotten Dark Age. Uh, just said the CD's out on Hessian Firm in November. Um, yeah, so almost exactly a year ago, we, yeah. like, probably, like, it'd be about a month from now or three weeks from now, we, uh, we reviewed uh, Ancient Gates' uh, last one, which was Empire Beyond Dusk. Uh, and that record ended up doing pretty well last year. Um, and it was on somewhere on my year, year end list. Um, this is, I believe I saw the main, the main songwriter, Ildrak. Um, I believe I saw him saying something to the effect that this was a bit of a, a diversion from the main sound or an exploration of a particular niche. Um, and so what you'll get is less like quote-unquote normal black metal, as in it is not blast-driven, it is not exactly oriented towards big riffs, although it's very catchy. Um, you know, the, uh, the last one, Empire Beyond Dusk, had this interesting blend of, like, uh, you had some of the typical cult black metal things like you know the Senor Valand chords and all that right but you also had um, as you pointed out a big influence from Judas Iscariot uh, big uh, Bloodhouse Nord Memoria Vetusta type stuff um, and generally a unique kind of uh, a unique otherworldly atmosphere right um, and uh, this keeps that atmosphere uh but delivers it in a very different way well um, i think it i think it sharpens it a lot more agreed yeah yeah so um yeah so this is so maybe we should so yeah i mean really it seems like although this seems like a departure and that it's more sort of uh lower mid-tempo driving lots of keyboards uh in some ways, it seems to really be, yeah, exactly, distilling the essential mood, which is this kind of, I think I probably used the word threshold mood, this kind of, like, sense of mystic excitement being on the oh. edge of, you know. 
it's sort of, it's less like uh, it's less like being in a fantasy world and more like our our world sort of falling into that, like falling I, into that dimension. I like that. I like that. Yes, that's great. Um, yes, um, and you know, there's a Lovecraft interest and whatever, so there's some interest in accidentally crossing into the fantasy world. Um, it's like you uh, wake up one day and all of a sudden, why are why does everyone have swords and why are they all on fire now? I, I guess we just have to roll with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so although it seems different, I think we both like, I think our overall impression is that this is quite faithful to the essential impulse of the project. It actually, that mood had sort of like flickered around the edges of the riffs before. Mm-hmm. Some riffs would have the mood really strongly. Others would just be more like, okay, here's a raw black metal riff. And you could hear him feeling out a bunch of different sonic components, most of which are still here, but they're integrated in a, in a, in a different way. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I think we both think overall that this is, in terms of really getting to the core of what makes this project special, we think this is better than the first one. Uh, yeah, I would say in just about every way, this is a step up from uh, Empires Beyond Dusk. Um, so last year uh, we talked about it. I actually went back to our piece on it mm-hmm. so I could, uh, you know, uh, listen to our thoughts on it and kind of like geared around that. If you haven't heard that, I think it was like episode three or something when we first mm-hmm. started. Exactly 50 episodes ago. You know? Shit, all right. Um, <clears throat> so, and my feeling there was that it's, uh, that was a very strong record. But it was, it felt a little bit stretched out in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, some, some riffs needed to be cut down, just some fat needed to be cut. And they've really done that here. And this is a pretty excellent example of addition through subtraction. Because this is categorically much simpler music than they were playing on the last full length. But, like you said, it really is distilled down to its most essential elements now. Um, every single what, riff, every single sort of melodic idea or whatever is carrying that concentrated dose of magic. Yeah, and it, and every every riff, you know, there's half as many riffs per song as there were mm-hmm. on Empire Beyond Dusk, but all of them have like three times the weight to them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, this is very very patient, very smart music. And I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how people react to it because this does not have some of the really big glorious moments of the first record. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more subdued uh, in the way mm-hmm. that it approaches its style on this one. But I think ultimately it'll be a more rewarding listen over time. It's kind of the same way I feel about uh, when we covered the newest Ild Scare EP. It's like you're stepping back from some mm-hmm. of the big, obvious, mm-hmm. that pleasing sense. ideas, yeah. uh, but you're like reinvesting into the sort of deep, difficult work that it takes to make this music really special. Um, and in particular, it feels like some of the weakest points from the last record. I remember on the last one, the Judas Iscariot parts, while I appreciated that being a substantial influence, they just didn't really land. Here they land hear a lot of those moments that I found weaker off the first full length, they've kind of resolved all the issues I had. Um, But yeah, so overall, it's just, it's extremely well-rounded and interesting, but I would say there's also kind of a different direction here because this feels way more Hellenic than the first one, which I think we both heard. Yeah, so uh, 
Let's go, yeah, so on the first one, I think I talked about a few riffs, and especially one song, as having a big Rotting Christ vibe, and the mood in the first record had more to do with Rotting Christ or uh, early septic death or something mm -hmm. than it did with, uh, I mean, the French or Norwegian bands that were obviously also references. Um, and so here you just get a lot of that throughout and it's really cool and what we're dealing with here is uh like an idea of rotting christ and it's this is something i've been it, in part it's on the brain because i've been sorting through this stuff lately but it's this is like pre-non-serwium rotting christ almost mm -hmm. um but yeah let's check out midwinter sorrow and you'll hear a pretty good example of this I'm starting to think that maybe a, a, a rule of thumb is that a good sign uh, for a record like this is when I hear a sample and I think of 50 things that it could sound like, but it really is its own thing. You know, when the reference points are really expansive. Yeah, I mean, that that is something we said last time that, but there, there, are a lot, there were a lot more recognizable references there. But you could clearly hear, okay, this is the work of somebody who, like, just likes black metal. There's mm -hmm. no attempt to, like, clone a specific style or sound. Um, here, yeah, I think you're right, right? There's, there's a lot. So what are some of the things? So, I mean, for people, the Hallmark Rotting Christ things you'd get there would be that, in that first kind of solemn riff, right, you get the, the heavy sort of, the keyboards layering over this heavy mid-tempo kind of uh riff and the keyboards are carrying the sort of swell of melody and then but it's really the really rc thing there is the kind of answering riff which i think is the real like kind of clinches it which is that i can't remember it but really good kind of really great simple epic power chord riff and um yeah 
I and, mean, which uh, is, I mean, which is kind of the Rotting Christ standard mode, and they they really have kept that throughout their career, even though they're essentially like a dark rock band now. Yeah, well, they've gone back and forth on their sound, but yeah, they. they they're yeah pretty consistent in a lot of ways. Although I think their last one was Drek. Um, maybe their last. <laughs> but, no, um, I didn't I hear it. But they've been. I, I think they've just been using cutting for, cutting room extras from Aalo for like a decade. Um, <laughs> uh, but um. But like uh, yeah, so I've so uh, in terms of what this might sound like, like uh, what was one of your oblique reference points? Um, probably old cradle, like uh, yeah, like yeah, like uh, V Empire or Dusk and Her Embrace. Some of the really slow, stately stuff that happens mm-hmm. sounds a lot like this. And then for something else we've covered on the show, um, Ancient Spheres, who we covered earlier this year, a Costa Rican black metal band who had a really unique mood mm-hmm. of sort of dark mystic rainforest black metal and a a lot of those kind of like slower almost doomy points on that record where the synths really take prominence they they kind of remind me of this yeah you wrote in the notes uh we got to have an ancient gate ancient spheres uh split yeah yeah return of the ancients there's your title true uh (laughs) but yeah very good fit um in terms of sound between those two um uh, so uh, what else as a as a broader reference point in terms in terms of the idea that this band is um drawing from a deep well and uh an expansive sense of the music um i think one place he's returning to with that early rotting christ thing is this general idea of like uh protean extreme metal from the early 90s right whether it's Mm -hmm. you know we've talked about it in death metal with respect to like say pre-89 death metal becoming more important um but like here it's really a return to what uh death metal guy sometimes calls 1.5 wave black metal you could certainly use that term for rotting christ um yeah definitely but also like i think also just the whole nexus that nick from hessian is calling and that the guys from a i think it was their their term originally but that nick is calling dark metal sort of uh black is it black metal is it death metal doesn't really sound like what either of those ended up sounding like spiritually black metal musically more like death metal um you get a lot of that here and so bands and none of those a lot of those bands get put in different pigeonholes now so it would include things like i guess people think of um early tiamat as a death metal band right Mm mm-hmm but it's kind of always had this spooky ethereal quality to it. Um, and uh, I've gone back to early Tiamat lately. It's so good. Um, I mean, pretty much all the old proto Peaceville stuff would fall into that. Like the first My Dying Bride, like As the Flower Withers. Is exactly, that yeah. This doesn't sound too much like that, but it's there's a spiritual similarity. Or um, uh, the, the other thing would be, uh, this is a band I don't know well at all, but Samael, I assume. Yeah, Samael definitely has a, a feel like this. I mean, maybe, maybe I mean, the thread between all of it is just extreme metal not forgetting the gothic part of it. Mid, Yeah, gothy, mid-tempo, driving mid-tempo riffs, gothy, kind of uh, um, 
generating the same kind of epic melodies you get later, but with uh, more of the kind of toolkit Emperor used at the beginning. Like, you have the really bludgeoning power chord stuff, and then the keyboards, and they interact in certain ways. Um, mm -hmm. I, like, I like that there are way fewer French black metal chords on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I like. He's really liked... escaped pretty much any trope of the modern underground on this. Yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of those French riffs on the last yeah. record, but mm -hmm. this is this feels to me like the logical mode of this band. Uh, Agree. Yeah, here. some of those French riffs were really good, but yeah, this is this is the what makes Ancient Gate Ancient Gate distilled. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's also interesting because I think the dark metal concept from Hessian often centers on this stuff that is um, certainly not sterile and polished, but is very sort of uh, technically demanding, um, mm -hmm. sort of very uh, high tempo, technically demanding, sort of most furious aspects of Black and Death, you know, elaborate neoclassical leads and shit like that. This is... Um, spiritually very similar but much sort of raw and more primitive yeah i mean it's it's the the other side of the same coin exactly you know, yeah there's there's absolutely a logical continuum between this and mephitis even if at first blush they couldn't be more different yeah i i was thinking i had a big sort of like bong rip moment where it's like okay <laughs> maybe in terms of the things that are interesting and new right now what it really is is like the the division increasingly is between like many of the things that sound most like black metal right now as we've talked about are some of the least authentic um and we're in this <laughs> in this place where there's a division between uh maybe one of the new divisions emerging is really between dark metal and uh solar metal mm and, and we've Possibly, been yeah. we've been it's just a thing to consider. We've been using those keywords a lot, and I had never actually thought of them in relation to each other. But yeah, uh, I can see how there is a a logical divide between the two. That's that's fair. Yeah, it's like a lot of the cool a lot of the cool stuff coming out that seems not in this sort of uh, you know uh, glorious knightly and or pagan warrior vibe. Uh, that has to do with the solar metal thing. It fits more into this other category. Yeah. That's fair. Alright. Uh, title track, Forgotten Dark Age. So, <clears throat> here's gonna... This is a section that's kind of similar to the one that you sampled uh, off mm -hmm. the first track. But, here uh, you're gonna hear the keyboards used a lot more in the vein of Judas Iscariot circa Heaven in Flames. Um, mm -hmm. really simple, like whole note dyad stuff, mm -hmm. but it's, it's amazing how effective it is. And there's a real harmonic depth to this music, despite how simple it is that keeps it really engaging, despite how it's mostly fairly like slow and repetitive music. It's just mm -hmm. built beautifully out of these simple layers of different instrumental voices. So, uh, yeah, let's go.
So yeah, that's a that's a passage that's fairly similar to the one that you selected, but I feel like different influences come to the forefront there. Like that mm-hmm. one has the fingerprints of Judas Iscariot all over it. Just, and it's hard to pin down exactly why. There's just something about the interaction between the guitars and the keyboards there that is directly from Akhenaten's work. Um, but what I really love here is just the the surprisingly convoluted turns that the guitar takes there. These sort of deliberately slowed down and elongated, sprawling, melodic lines. Little variations in the keyboards, like little new uh, harmonic chords emerging in that simple dyadic phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, it's challenging music, and not in the sense that it's difficult to listen to, but that what makes it special requires concentration and requires, more importantly, a sort of broad understanding of black metal. Like, you you can't listen to black metal for two years and understand what makes this different, you know? This this requires some background knowledge, which might sound kind of pretentious, but that's just how I feel about it. Like, this is not starter shit at all. (laughs) I think that's, yeah, I think that's true of this, and also I think a lot of things in that style, you know? I mean, I didn't... There's a reason I'm only going back to the sort of, you know, early Tiamat now, right? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah. Or any of these, or even like, I, I've always liked Riding Christ, but now like I'm like, I, I like their slower parts more than I used to. Or I, I <laughs> you, went gotta get, to, you gotta get a little older to have the patience yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well also, but you know, the other thing is like, yeah, so on the one hand, having some knowledge helps for this. On the other hand, it's just so immersive. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely, very... um, it, it's, it's very, I, ironically, I think it does like sort of soundtrack music way better than any of the Atmo Black does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I think this is music that, and I don't, don't take this as a slight, but it being used as background music for something else is appropriate. I mean, you listen to it like while you're walking around in nature or you listen to it for like a Dungeons and Dragons session with your friends and it works great in both of those settings and it also stands up to like close dedicated listening which I is think, the mark yes. of a great record. Yes, and um tons of replay value. Like Oh yeah, no, I'm looking forward to really digging into this a few more times and picking it apart. It just creates a um he successfully creates a place you want to hang out. Yeah, um, which is a weird thing for Blackwell because it's usually a place you don't really want to hang out, <laughs> yeah, depending um, on the band. Yeah. Um, so, um, my next comment is a simple one, but it's like, you know, if the mission is to escape from those chords um, that are omnipresent now, this guy just does it so well, and one way he does it is... He's really good at playing power chords. He takes the power chord seriously. He meditates upon the power <laughs> chord. He hones his skill. Uh, he, he hones his picking inflection. He uh, goes out to the he goes out to the courtyard every day and uh, sort of thwacks his guitar into a power chord. <laughs> three hours. Um, and uh, you know it's it's not a. Uh, it's an essential ingredient rather than a thing that you fall back on at various times. Um, 
And so let's listen to just this part from the beginning of Beneath the Crimson Moon. This song gets absolutely huge. This is just the beginning of the song. And uh, listen to that one power chord. <laughs> we're we're going to lead into it. All right, let's go. So did you hear that sick part where he just rose up to one chord and stayed on it for 30 seconds? <laughs> well, I mean, the reason it works, all the intricacy in it is in the, uh, in the right hand work. Uh, because he's, he's not just stabbing the chord over and over. He's kind of alternating between playing the full chord and doing just a little arpeggiated variation. It's hard to hear through the production, but I think he's really got a custom picking pattern there. He's not just whacking it for the sake of it you know not that some of us wouldn't enjoy just whacking it. <laughs> wait wait wait, <laughs> wait, wait 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 i suppose that's a uh suppose that was a cell phone there i guess yeah i guess uh <laughs> it's um i suppose we all enjoy whacking it anyway um uh but um yeah that part was really cool the end there that turnaround riff that turnaround mm-hmm. riff is also really cool. Da, 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 da. And there's a place where he's using the sliding, um, self-harmonizing two-string riff technique, right? But he's mm-hmm. not... The intervals that are coming out really aren't the troped Sargeist D1s. Um, and what it, if it reminds me of anything in terms of like a dark metal reference point, it sounds like a Turnus. Oh yeah, um, definitely a Turnus. Yeah, so the more a lot of the more elegant kind of uh, noble sounding melodies on this are kind of eternacy, also as well as rotting Christ. Yeah, a lot of this has to do with the kind of melodies you hear from early black death bands, but there's really no death metal in this music, which is interesting. It's it's technique taken from guys who were doing substantially death metal influenced music. But then just taking the technical part of that and leaving yeah. the kind of death metal and, atmospherics alone. 
that makes sense. Yeah, the atmosphere with yeah, exactly. I think that makes sense. I mean, even just the idea that um, power chords are essential to black metal is kind of related to the idea of black metal as an extension of death metal, which is mm-hmm. what seemed obvious to everyone at the beginning, right? It was like this is the real death metal. This is uh, killing death metal posers. Blah blah blah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and so just. Just the fact that the undertone of this is a lot more rough-hewn than a lot of stuff that's coming out now is is, is a tie to that general sense of what this music is. Um, yeah, no, this is a case where the, the sort of rawness of the production and the, the sort of stripped-down simplicity of it is totally at the service of the atmosphere. And this is, this is production that's raw in the correct way. It's not digitized you know, put a distortion pedal on the master channel and go hog wild shit is probably, it's kind of grainy analog sound. It's, it feels very authentically from the early nineties. Yeah. 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 No, that is, that is true. This is one of those rare records where if someone told you it was from the early nineties and you put it on, you'd be like, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. You'd be like, Oh, this is good. How, How did I miss this? Yeah, I haven't seen anyone ever talk about these guys in, like, uh, old-school gem threads on different forums. Yeah. All right, so uh, last sample from a little bit later in the same track. Um, This is going to be one sort of the climax moment of the song. So you're going to hear a giant Rotting Christ lead uh, just for a couple repetitions, and then it's going to go into a huge Judas Iscariot tremolo riff, and then some more traditionally kind of Scandinavian black metal techniques that I probably wouldn't have liked before I started doing the show and you just like forced me to listen to Sorhin at gunpoint and shit. But now I get it. So so now you're so let's Heretic converted. (laughs) Exactly. All right. All right. Yeah, so that little uh, that little like half step uh, arpeggiated outro, I would never have liked that before you started playing me all the like mid '90s black metal I skipped 
that oh. where that was a foundational part, and now it's like, okay, I get it now. I get the point of it now. <laughs> so do you mean you mean the little the the fading and down 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 yeah yeah that little interesting yeah I guess that does make sense. That is a very nineties mid nineties black metal thing, and uh, you know yeah a remarkable. It's interesting, right? You pick that out as a, a thing of interest, right? And to a mm-hmm. certain degree, if you're just clicking through this album, or, like, if you're re-listening to it, like, for a minute I was like, oh, are we going to keep sampling? Because, like, the song, quote-unquote, ended, right? Like, the main, the drums drop out, you get this sort of diminuendo or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But that, quote-unquote, outro is... You've talked before about the importance of good endings and how Interbliving yeah. is good at this. Um, this song has like an ending and that it's worth listening to. You would never just skip over it. Oh yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't cut the song at the second to last riff without mm-hmm. that outro there. That would sound terrible, but that puts it all together. But, uh, so obviously the opening of that sample, that rotting Christ lead is just so fucking good. It's yeah. very simple, very elemental, but I, we, we've heard that kind of thing before. And there's a reason people do it every time. It's because it's great. It's primordial extreme metal. And then, uh, like you were saying, they launched into that huge Judas Iscariot riff, and you were just like, "Oh yeah, this is glorious." Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, you see, I, I, I'm gonna get the gun, and you know, it's gonna be heaven in flames for you. It's I know. Fucking, I know. I know. <laughs> we'll I've have to do a bonus to. episode at one point. <laughs> That's really on the list. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. So like, those are you know, Judas Iscariot is another source for those chords. But the way he mm-hmm. uses them is so uh, stripped back and minimal compared to the sort of, uh, it's, you know, equally lush and melodic, but stripped back and minimal compared to a lot of the sort of uh, fruity elaborations that prevail. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. that uh, the guys in this band understand the, um, the distinction. Yes. Um, yes. That yes. that's something, when you take Judas Iscariot, if you put too much additionally onto it, you lose some of the magic it's really um you know they've like uh i think i think this band is i don't think there's any technique that this band has banned you know what i mean some bands you create artificial parameters for yourself as in we're not going to use this or that thing Mm -hmm. and that's a perfectly valid method of doing it right i feel like this band anything is potentially on the table but they have very particular ideas about how they're going to use any of it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, it's like that, that thing I always come back to, you know, saying, you know, the best anything, the best black metal, best death metal, whatever, is not made with the intention of being black metal. Music was written that happened to be black metal. Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus Podcast. All right, next up we have Abyss Cult with their third album, Fergie Yang. Uh, like I said at the top, this is a release on Solitude Productions. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they're a pretty well-known name in the funeral doom scene. Uh, Solitude is a label that's been around for a while, and it's sort of a regional label. Like, the majority of the bands are Russian, but occasionally they, you know, poke out here and there. Um, mostly Funeral Doom and uh, sort of romantic Death Doom stuff. 
and Solitude does a lot of stuff that I really like and a lot of stuff that I don't like because it tends to fixate on this sort of region of like romantic funeral doom that can be pretty fucking good when it goes correctly and can go horribly wrong as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So Abyss Cult themselves uh, appear to be a four-piece who are doing funeral doom mixed with some kind of ritual ambient stuff uh, themed after Tibetan mysticism. And I'm guessing there's got to be some sort of connection to the Russian Dark Ambient Project FERPA uh, who do sort of traditional Tibetan folk ritual ambient stuff. FERPA has had like a rotating lineup of different anonymous people involved. It would not surprise me if maybe someone was in here because the idea of a Russian band being preoccupied with Tibetan mysticism just seems a little bit too precise not to have some sort of relation, but... um, For sure. so, So overall, this is... All right, so this record is focused primarily on this romantic style of Funeral Doom, which everyone can probably predict that's not really a thing that I'm into. So explain to people what that means. I guess the best way to describe it is, like, imagine Funeral Doom Tempo My Dying Bride. I mean, it's got it's it's got kind of its own melodic vocabulary that's distinct from that, but that's the easiest nutshell description. It's it's very it's very primary color sad and kind of wistful and longing. Um lots of lots of music about girls in very abstract oh, ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we talked this, about this. this. This does not appear to be about girls unless they're like weird Tibetan animist god girls. It's it's about <laughs> it's, it's about avoiding them. It's about avoiding them in the mountains. <laughs> um, temptress, temptress, away from my hut. Yeah, I must. You shall must, you shall not have my carefully hoarded seed. <laughs> I must observe the goats for another fortnight. Yes, um, yeah. So, uh, honestly, this doesn't convert me from my, my thing with the, the whole romantic funeral doom. A lot of this record plods. Like, there's long stretches where not a lot happens. And it would be easy to dismiss if that was the only case, but there are moments, pretty substantial moments on this record, that are these enormous bursts of creativity an interesting songwriting, an interesting infusion of ambient electronic elements into this music that prevents me from dismissing it. I think there's moments of this that are really special. I just wish that I didn't have to get through so much very kind of trudging flat funeral doom to get to those. For sure. Yeah, I was, um, you know, we've, uh, we've talked about the kinds of funeral doom when we were doing the uh, Torture Doom episode, you talked about the way that Funeral Doom has kind of gone in this uh, more uh, gothy or romantic direction. And uh, I think I knew what you were talking about. But uh, this is, uh, when I heard this, I was like, hey, this is the kind of Funeral Doom the death metal guy doesn't like. It's, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, overall, I would say I had a similar impression of this. I don't know that I was... Um, even as into the big moments, but like there are certain, there certainly are big moments, but uh, 
this was definitely um, very spread out, and um, a lot of the, the the baseline riffing is just not not interesting. Right? Oh yeah, no, I think we I think we both agree on the same basic thesis, which is these guys would be better as just a dark ambient group. Yeah, those parts are pretty interesting. Um, you could even make it dark ambient with some guitars in it, you know, or some synthy drums or whatever, right? But you can make heavy dark ambient. But uh, yeah, I feel like um, in terms of it being like dark ambient, uh, I don't know FERPA, but like I have, uh, I read an interesting, in, or I read, I read part of an interview with him and uh, Bardo Methodology years ago, and he, the FERPA dude, seemed really serious. <laughs> he's uh I, i've read a few interviews with him he is uh he is a character yes and uh he's in pretty advanced age now i think he's in like his mid-60s these days hmm. and he's still just doing it i watched uh i've watched some live footage of them i i i don't even know if ferpa really puts out records i think they just might do these like sporadic kind of performance art things um but there is a uh a session they did at the boiler room as a two-piece which is fucking wild uh r from numahagion turned me on to them and uh oh yeah it's like nothing you've seen before highly highly recommend everyone check out ferpa all right cool so um let's uh well, yeah let's let's talk about let's talk about this instead though <clears throat> okay so <laughs> okay so i i got a sample off a track called uh ingari so, what I want to talk about here is, this is one of the more interesting sections of the record to me, because it's, and the interest is very structural in nature. Something that these guys are very good at are in these liminal moments between Funeral Doom and Dark Ambient, where they have what I call like a quiet cacophony of things going on. It's not bracingly loud or heavy, but it gives a similar effect through the delicate application of all these different instrumental voices, you know, synths emerging, multiple vocals emerging in different parts of the sonic space, cymbals kind of chiming in different channels. They really like using a, a, a sort of 3D sound, which I really appreciate. There was a ton of work done on the production of this record. And uh, this section in particular shows them at, I think, their strongest, where they're not really concerned about committing to funeral doom. They're just doing something that feels more natural to them.
Okay, so I find all of that pretty fucking cool, actually. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it sounds, it does sound like dark ambient. It reminds me a bit of, um, there's a pretty good, uh, or a, a great band called, or group called Inad, or Inade, I-N-A-D-E, that has, hmm. uh, kind of a similar palette that I like. Um, but, you know, yeah, definitely not holding my attention as metal. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think this music really works as metal. It, it's sections like that where it's like, the big thing is like, the guitars don't need to have a place of prominence in this music. They need to be on like an equal level with everything else in terms of their role. You know, they, I, I feel like this is a band that's at their best when they're constructing songs out of, instead of riffs, guitars are just another instrumental voice that they can use and they can kind of select yeah, to yeah. use for its timbral properties. Cause I think these guys are great at, um, ideas of timbre and like, you can hear that, especially in a lot of the more kind of noisy electronic parts on this. But I, I, I like the deficiency for these guys is just their, their melodic sensibility is not very interesting. So in moments like this, where the, importance of the melodic structure is kind of pushed into the background, I think you get stuff that's a lot more interesting when it's just kind of rhythmic and timbral in nature. Yeah, the the melodies or the riffs have this kind of troped funeral doom quality of like uh, you do something that sounds kind of majestic and sad pretty, and then you sort of cancel it out. You sort of negate it uh, by doing a kind of like the the chord turns a little bit and sinks a half step and then the kind of the part descends it climbs up and it goes back down the ladder in the side mm -hmm. um and that is uh i mean it's based on things from peaceville or whatever that were effective right but it's mm -hmm. uh here it, it creates the kind of way that the riffs kind of cancel themselves out often um the uh and yeah, I gotta say also about the guitar tone, not a fan. Um, really? What about it? I feel like something like this should have a rich and immersive tone. I feel like here it's pretty sterile. It's, it's probably a little over compressed, yeah. Yeah, it sounds. It sounds. Um, yeah, it's just like. Yeah, I feel like with something this, I'd almost expect the guitars to even be more kind of drony than normal fun than funeral doom. Uh, and you don't get, really get a drone effect here. I feel like. Um, yeah, this. Is, well, I, I think that just goes back to wh the where it which happens. Is, it's coming from things other than the guitar. Yes, and I, I think that that just leads back to the idea that this should not be riff-based music. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think they're. Oh, go ahead. No, here's an example. So this this actually ties in because here's I you know I did look for parts that I liked. Um, and this is a very engaging part. And here's actually one of the best guitar parts, but it's also where the guitar is deliberately working in the, in a kind of supporting role. It's, it's not mm -hmm. carrying the melody. Um, and this is simultaneously one of the most drony and most metal parts on the record. Right? So, okay. uh, yeah, you'll, you'll hear, you'll hear some really pretty harmonies start to gather over the, over the guitars and then we'll, we'll, some other cool stuff happens.
that was a great riff or melody at the end. Yeah, no, I I was actually thinking of sampling this part too um, when I did my first listening. No, that's awesome. And the the thing is that that big melody at the end mm-hmm. is not really that different from a lot of the kind of lead melodies you'll hear elsewhere on this record, but the difference is it feels earned after just that huge section kind of climbing up and building tension, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't just start on a melody as like kind of big and pretty and primary color as that, that has to be the conclusion of something. And that's, they do that successfully in this section. Yeah, another thing I liked is that the the tone starts to matter less because the guitar is doing chug most of the time until it, then it goes into the lead. But the idea that like the the sort of um, the chunky mid tone in the chords stops being as much of an issue because you're just going for a chug effect anyway. Um, and they're using the guitar kind of as a percussion instrument there, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just that little bit of rhythmic variation, right? That just sort of like mildly funky kind of slowed down jugga jugga is yeah. uh, enough to mesh with the rest of what's going on to make it pretty heavy. And that one moment where like you think he's just hitting the root and that one, one, one moment he goes up like a, you know, minor third, you know, dumb, 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 dumb. dumb. It, uh, it hits pretty hard and then it's like, oh shit, that's like a metal riff. Um, uh, and 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 I like they're the kind of uh, layering, uh, you know, when you've got the sort of the swarming voices and you've got those electronic feedback sounds, which in some places seem kind of out of place. But like, I get it's a cool idea, especially in music like this where you wouldn't normally expect it. Um, and there, mm-hmm. the, I think the feedback sounds sound great. So everything there is really well timed, and it successfully creates a similar kind of effect to the one you were pointing to. Like this band does, to the extent that they successfully evoke the atmosphere they're going for, of which more later, the moments where they do, it achieves this kind of like uh, paranoid ritual intensity of like dealing with, uh, you know, sort of being being beset by spirits or something. Yeah, no, it definitely, that was something I found interesting, too, is I, I thought that the the kind of noisy electronic stuff, you know, I, when I first heard it, I thought that wouldn't really connect with the idea of this music, but the more I got into it, the more I thought that it really did, in an interesting way, you know, like kind of the, the encroachment of modernity onto these sort of, like, deep animistic ritual ideas. Uh, which I thought was a really interesting contrast. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, question, I mean, you know, talking about, like, the idea of this being a band that's unfortunately kind of enslaved to the idea of the riff, but there is an example of, like, a couple really good riffs. Is it just the fact that maybe it's, like, they can use the metal riff as a part of their vocabulary, but it doesn't need to be foundational to the structure of the music? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean, I would say, like, often, like, in terms of riffs, like, often, like, those big leads are stronger than the sort of doomy chord riffs. Yeah, I think, I think, like, that if you want to, if you want to move the guitar to a melodic place, those kinds of slowly building, they have, you know, when they're doing keyboards, they have a pretty good sense for kind of weird, but, uh, 
weird but intuitively good sounding harmonies or intuitively mm-hmm. kind of beautiful sounding harmonies and that tr- carries over to those sort of spiraling guitar parts too yeah i would say that um well i i think that one of the traps this band is falling into is something that a lot of funeral dooms fall funeral doom bands fall into which is the idea that uh, that a funeral doom riff has to be a certain kind of thing or adhere mm-hmm, to a certain mm-hmm. convention because the reality is just from you and me talking back and forth i think we've seen enough of a wide palette of funeral doom at this point to say there's no such thing as a funeral doom riff yeah cuz yeah. we've 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 heard shit that's so enormously divergent clearly there's no specific kind of technical center melodic center yeah, that it's yeah. based on it's like so grind why core, right? <laughs> what, what's a grindcore riff oh, it's one that grinds what's yeah, a funeral exactly. doom riff one that sounds funereal well, I guess one that, yeah one that fumes yeah one that fumes I mean it's like mm. but then like even directly comparing it to something like Wormflem I mean Wormflem are using a lot of sort of traditional very skeletonized black or death metal arrangements but what makes them exciting is that they play with timing a lot every riff feels very bespoke it the the riffs over the course of four measures or something do not tend to rhythmically hit in the same places that you would expect a metal riff to Mm -hmm. despite being melodically very black or death metal and i think that's a lesson that these guys could take which is like you can use this vocabulary, but you don't need to feel stuck within this paradigm just to be funeral doom, whatever that means, which is not a lot. We've come to realize. Yeah. All right. So uh, my last sample, this is a part that I can say is like unequivocally kind of magnificent. Uh, this is off the final track, Mikod uh, Raten, something like that. And out of nowhere, towards the beginning of this track, this is the longest, well over 20 minutes in length, um, they explode into this wonderful uh, clean vocal passage with with these elaborate polyphonic melodies uh, all over the place. And when it happened, I was like, why is this not the foundation of this music? Like, this is such an exciting and enthralling moment on this album. I was like, "This this is the root this is what the band should descend from, from here. And it also gets to something that's like, this is a very vocal-driven record, and the vocal performances are all excellent, but then hearing it with this this incredible scope uh, of all these different clean voices is just, this was fucking magical to me. So... <laughs>
I just get an album of all that? That was pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's especially the part awesome. towards the end. You know, there's a it really like you already thought it was a it's a climax moment that escalates several times within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like you know, it's it starts simply, and then all these voices start up. I mean, by the end there, there's like five separate tracks of vocals. It's like. <laughs> I mean that's that's what this music should be to me. Like that is mm-hmm. that's fucking awesome. Like uh, you know, like doing true kind of polyphonic vocal arrangements, and that actually feels Tibetan. You know, there's also that. Like, um, it was like when I heard this moment, it was just it was so exciting. I was like, why is this tucked away in the back of the album, and mm-hmm. why are we not hearing? Why is this part as a unit not something that's on every track? You know. Why is this not foundational vocabulary for this band? Mm-hmm. I mean, probably because it's extremely fucking hard to do. But <laughs> yeah, it's um. So about that sounding Tibetan thing, um, mm-hmm. I you know I mean, I I don't know like art that certainly that part does convey the impression more. Who knows? Maybe it does sound Tibetan. You know what I mean? Like. It, it, uh, I guess I would, I would trust these guys to know, right? Yeah. Um, uh, it, it also does sound a lot like take your, uh, Wailing Women's Choir section on any Druid record, right? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, which is not to knock it. I love those parts. Um, but, um, but, you know, there is, there is convergence between, like, uh, uh you know, like, tip stuff on, you could see, like, there's lots of convergence between, say, like, Mongol music or sort of, like, oh, that's just music kind of like and Eastern Central Korean. Asian stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but, like, overall for this record, the it, it's weird. I think this band has the Cult of Fire problem, where <laughs> Cult of Fire is a band that sounds way less serious than it actually is, in terms of, like, uh... <laughs> Like, that guy is a serious occultist. I think he, about the Hindu stuff in Cult of Fire, he, uh, I think he lived, I think he spent time in India uh, living as a sadhu, which is like a uh, a sort of taboo-breaking, outcast uh, devotee of, I think, of Shiva. Um, you, yeah. like, haunt you know, you, you rake ashes over yourself and you hang out in graveyards and you have intercourse in forbidden places and shit like that. That's tight. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. It sounds like a good gig. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like being a crust punk, but more honorable. Um, when I grow up, uh, I want to be that, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so so he, he actually, like, walked the walk in a serious way and knows a, a lot about, you know knows a lot about Hinduism, right? These guys, especially if it's connected to Furpa, I'm sure they know a shit ton about Tibetan Buddhism and Tibet, right? Mm-hmm. But in the music, it often comes... It often seems like that has been sort of grafted onto it as a theme. Um, like, uh... Like, I'm not saying that Tibetan-inspired Funeral Doom has to be some kind of, like, ethnographic folkloric thing at all, Right? 
but you at least want stuff that in some way evokes something that we can associate with the region, right? And the religion. Mm -hmm. With the place and, or at least with the religion and the ideas in the religion. And like some of those places, like that, that, that sort of chuggy Assault of Voices sample, I think did that very well. You know, like mm -hmm. that you can hear as related to some sort of difficult spiritual trial. Or like the part you just pulled, you can hear relating more to, you know, uh, Tibet itself. Um, but like those moments are kind of few and far between in part because of the preponderance of those kinds of romantic funeral doom melodies. Uh, yeah. and you know, often with this stuff too, of course, you know, it, it can, if you're going for a subtler thing, that's not folk E necessarily often it does depend to some degree on priming you via the art, right. And the titles. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Okay, that 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 is uh, that that is a part of it, right? Um, but like stuff that should work together with the visual and textual cues to create that impression, and I think overall not so much. Uh, I, I think a question you could ask then somebody could say is, well, uh, how do you know what Tibetan Buddhism should sound like, right? And <laughs> my answer would be something like, well, not like poppy Euro funeral doom. That, um, that seems like a fair guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like, uh, to the extent that this all generally does kind of fit with Tibetan Buddhism, it's only in the sense that all funeral doom does. Yeah, I can see that. Slow, meditative, kind of, uh, brooding, removed from the world, uh, demanding music, sparse in ways, you know, all that, right? Um... But, you know, it's kind of this thing where, like, if you have a band that is, like, really big on a certain black metal theme, like, they say, oh, we're, we're, we're like, black metal about the, um, about the Dacian warriors who fought with Rome. You're like, well, how are you evoking Iron Age Dacia? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, well, if it just sounds like black metal, the answer is only to the extent that all black metal sounds like yeah, yeah. with a giant curved uh, polearm sword thwacking from a shield, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, it's like when you say, uh, when I describe stuff as sounding like skepticism, and you're like, well, yeah, that's because skepticism sounds like enormous horns played in a castle. And yeah, so, yeah. so everything that sounds like that sounds like skepticism, which is, <laughs> uh, that was a pretty fair take. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... All right. So we got, um, oh yeah, this leads to my last sample, which is basically just, to me, a part that really does do that, though really does evoke the Tibetan thing is uh, I really felt it about 30 minutes into the record, which is actually, this actually comes right after the moment you sampled. Uh, in, yeah. In Gari. Uh, in Gari. Yeah. Um, right where that ends, to me, I did like the part that you sampled, but then it gets just really cool. So, uh, you know, uh, we will just play this one. And um, I don't think I have too much to say about it, except that it's awesome. So let's just uh, roll out on this and I'll say... Love me some archaic folk drone. Doot doot.
All right, we are back after even more Solitude Productions Funeral Doom with something a little bit faster in the form of perverted dexterity's uh, alacrity for contemptuous dissonance out on now becoming like a very important brutal death label with a brutal mind from Indonesia. They've become kind of the house label of the Indonesian brutal death scene, which, uh, as I said when I gave my kind of little intro spiel about that scene when we talked about Devoured, is actually a really big scene. Like, I would even say that in terms of Indonesia's metal output, its biggest export is Brutal Death. Um, so now we're uh, with Devoured. That was a former Brutal Death Metal band that became kind of a strange old-school death metal band. Now we've got something that's directly Indonesian Brutal Death. <clears throat> uh, so Perverted Dexterity is uh, mostly a one-man project by a guy named uh, Januario, or... Uh, Hanuario, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Apologies mm -hmm. to him. But uh, with a session drummer in this case, uh, I believe that he's writing everything, though. And uh, this is... I like this record a lot. This is interesting, uh, especially just from a guitar perspective. Like, in a lot of ways, this is sort of a brutal death metal guitar workshop. Um, the way these songs are constructed is based off... Uh, a few simple kind of rhythmic or melodic figures that just get contorted and played with through variations at blindingly fast speeds. Um, it has that sort of, uh, like when we talked about the Focal Dystonia record, I think it was late last year, it feels kind of like a jazz session that you're listening to, uh, despite being, you know, so much more extreme uh, when it comes to the timbre. Um and I think this guy has a talent for, he's just got a really good ear for those rhythmic and melodic figures. He knows what the right one or two to pick to build a song around are. Um, and then just as a guitarist, uh, the playing is very fascinating. I'm going to be listening to this album a lot just for my own kind of study to try and pick apart some of the ideas that he's using. Because, uh, I mean, obviously this guy is just an unbelievable guitarist, and that's what the music centers around. Like, everything, even though vocal and drum performances are excellent, everything is ultimately at the service of this guitar workshop that he's performing for us. And... It's rigorous and single-minded and very cool because of that. It also has nothing to offer for, like, black metal people. This, this is not a case where it's, like, one of those crossover albums we talked about. This is brutal death for brutal death people. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's all right, though. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> you're, you're coming around to that side it, of the it, scene. It gets, yeah. a, it gets a pass from the black metal guy. Um, it's, a. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is definitely, yeah, this is, there's definitely a lot of stuff that you've shown me that is more up my alley than this. This is mm -hmm. definitely just, yeah, uh, some this is on like beginning the, to end. This is on the exterminated side of things. Yeah, yeah, but, um, it is, uh, 
you know, it's uh, what what did I like about it? Well, first of all, I like the cover, which features um, Mortis committing hate crimes against Mortis. Um, <laughs> I do love the weird goblin execution that's occurring on the cover. That's such a weird thing to have uh, on there, your brutal uh, death it's, record. It's, yeah, this is a cover that just gets better the longer you look at it because there's a whole story there that you just are not privy to. Yeah, it's so, like something uh, brought them to this pass. <laughs> I, I, I like that the other goblins behind them are horrified by what's happening. Yeah, I think this what's is... happening, based on the song titles, I think, he, you know, the, the, this cackling wizard goblin is holding the other goblin's head down into a well, and the other goblin is gazing away in revolt, trying to look away in revulsion. Uh, <laughs> and one of the tracks is called um, The Well of Knowledge, which I sampled from. I think, so I think he's showing him something about goblin kind. Yeah, you, you had a lot to uh, say about like the song titles on this, and which I hadn't really considered before, because they were very kind of brutal death song titles. But then, when I thought about it a little bit more, there does seem to be some sort of overarching theme on this. You know, yes. it's it's sort of... Sort of, I mean, it's almost like Ancient Gates. It's like, you know, slipping into another world, being reve- having some sort of horrible knowledge revealed to you, which is... That's pretty cool. That's brutal death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Speaking of yeah, which, let's just let's listen catac- to some fast shit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, cataclysmic phantasmal portrait from the beginning. Um, so here's an example of what I'm talking about with the way the sort of motivic uh, methodology this guy has for his songwriting. So opening riff has a distinct sort of unusual rhythmic figure to it. And then the rest of the song is all built off that. So you're going to hear that rhythmic figure recur and get played with and varied. Um, And this is one of the longer songs on the record, which suggests that this particular rhythmic idea is something that he's passionate about. Uh, And it's also got an interesting kind of weird pentatonic cowboy feel in a lot of the melodies. um, Yes, I was going to get to that, yeah. Yeah, and he adjoins them to these uh, more dissonant ideas uh, in this really kind of fluid, cool way. So it's just extremely smart. Oh, the first riff riff here is very cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This this whole thing is surprisingly cowboy. So Cataclysmic Phantasmal Portrait. Great song title also. (laughs) Pop that beer and let's go. Yeehaw.
<laughs> like a, that is a that is a huge cowboy riff to open up this. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, a thing I would say about this record, especially parts like this, is that although it not being my cup of tea, some of it just does were past. Mm-hmm. Like when I like focus on those parts when I'm listening over it to it with you now, like those are really good riffs. Those are all really good riffs. And I was I was actually gonna pick this part until I saw you picked it, but uh, but yeah, that da 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 that's like a real cool idea. Well, yeah, and like the first like forty five seconds of the song, he plays like five different variations, you know, based on yeah. that like, yeah, I mean, so you've got that ascending pentatonic phrase that dum 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 dum, but then he keeps augmenting it, and in the, he he slowly pushes it more and more dissonant mm-hmm. until the point where the blast kicks in, and all of a sudden, you've got this like perverse, horrible chromatic version of it, which is. Mm-hmm. Just really cool and not the sort of thing. Oh, I hear what you mean. Most yeah, people are going to pay attention to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. No, as you were saying it, I, I, I realized it. Oh, yeah, that second riff actually follows up on the first one. Yeah, yeah and I think that's yeah. one of the things that makes this album distinct is there is this thread of the riffing, which is just a lot more contiguous than you hear in a lot of Brutal Death. Like these are through written songs. In a way, they're not in a way they're not even riff based it's like a continuous transforming process uh on the guitar uh which is awesome and something we highly encourage i mean it really does break away from what we traditionally understand as riffs because it's like you said i think you said it in regards to shit i forget which record it was but you're like how many riffs does it has well it kind of has one, and it kind of has two hundred. Oh, you're talking about Devil Groth with that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, no, I, I just think it's really cool. And also, listening back again, I, you know, I was so focused on the guitar for a lot of this, I didn't really give everything else enough credit. Drumming is fucking unbelievable, and that opening kind of cowboy passage, the incredibly subtle uh, sort of like ghost notes on the snare, these these multiple layers of rhythm. Mm-hmm. really add up into something special you know you've got the uh the double hand hi-hat stuff that's going on it's it, it's wonderful it really it feels like a duo playing in a room together really fucking intensely yeah i i agree that the drumming is good and i can hear the live feel it's uh so yeah, a, a thing I was going to point out also, since we just got that cow, cowboy riff, is that a lot of the ulcer, like obviously you could link that general style, especially because there's a, some scronkiness thrown into it. Um, you could link that general style to ulcerate, right? But I felt again and again when he plays those kinds of, um, uh, you know, the the glistening inorganic toned cowboy riffs and these <laughs> kinds of uh, turnarounds, I. I felt again and again like mastodon when they were somewhat somewhat worth listening to yeah um, yeah like uh like blood leviathan era. yeah leviathan uh, yeah yeah um like they would just have these pretty cool nimble turnarounds that had this very uh you know post whatever quality to them while being extremely sort of bluesy or appalachian sounded um mm-hmm. and uh that was that seems to run throughout this and almost if he wants to 
go further with this particular project, I would almost say bring that out more. Yeah, I think... Well, I think that one of the things that makes it special, though, is, like, how it's tucked away in there, you know? I, well, I, I, I guess like, you're, you're, you're the judge. You're the brutal death guy. So yeah. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, because what you're saying makes sense insofar as, like, if more people... For the sake of more people understanding what makes this special interesting, perhaps he should bring it out more. It's just, for me, it's like, I like... We've talked about this on the show. I like how so much brutal death metal requires very concentrated listening. Mm-hmm. Like whenever we do these brutal death reviews, that's where I get more into kind of music and rhythmic theory than I do anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Cause I like, I like having to concentrate really hard to pick up on these subtle things that make these songs mm-hmm. special. But I also know that that's one of the things that makes this so inaccessible. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, so, uh, here is my sample. Um, uh, this is from The Well of Knowledge. This is, uh, from towards the end of the track. I'm gonna go about the last minute and a half or two. Um, and it's, we're gonna start on some really cool lead playing. Listen to the way that the lead, at the same time, the lead decelerates and changes the rhythmic inflection. Um, into the, and then it spills into the main riff. fucking cool man yeah dude uh, that breakdown at the end is pretty cool that's like a kind of um uh, that, that's almost a hardcore breakdown at the end jung, jung, dun, 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 like a kind of sectioned thing yeah so it's, it's like sort of a <clears throat> sort of a down tempo or like yeah. modern sort of digital hardcore thing yeah r- really really slam influenced hardcore yeah um but yeah so that breakdown is cool at the end but 
before that, I mean, obviously, like, the part I just liked was, uh, you know, ha-ha, six-eight, chug-riff, go vroom-vroom. Um, and, uh, and that kind of fits with the Mastodon thing, I think, as in, like, big six-eight chug-riff, or subdivide, three against four, subdivided four-four chug-riff, is not a, uh, um, I, that, to me, doesn't seem like a particularly common slam thing. Or, sorry, Brutal Death thing. Um, you'll hear it occasionally, but usually they don't commit to it for as long as this guy does. For him, that's that's clearly the rhythmic figure at the center. I think that maybe every one of these songs has a rhythmic figure and a melodic figure mm. that it's built around. Are they um, the same? Are they in the same riff or sometimes in different ones? I think they're sometimes in different ones. And I think that he likes to sort of start a song with one and end it with the other and try to meet them in the middle. Because something I noticed was in that that cool uh, decelerating sort of fill passage Mm -hmm. that he does, he reuses that technique again uh, right before the final sort of breakdown riff comes in, which is uh, playing the riff. You've got a riff, you're playing it like three and a half times. You're abruptly chopping it off and starting the next riff in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Gives it that kind of like uh, confusing effect. You have to like find your bearings in the music again because he just suddenly did the riff as a cut time passage, like a fill instead, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I mean, I love it. That kind of stuff was all over like the uh, the undeciphered record. We covered well, like a month back. There's a similar kind of callback method uh, with even with the main riff here in that um, the version that I sampled, right? He's uh, he's actually playing something like uh, it has that six eight feel, but he's actually subdividing each of those into like each of those eighth notes into like sixteenth chug. So it, mm-hmm. it actually cuts it up to something like twelve sixteen or whatever. Um, and uh you know so it it's put kind it put kind of, puts kind of a flam or trill double bass feel on the guitars themselves mm-hmm. yeah which, well it, it's because cool. it's be, it's because a lot of the time he's not really committing to actually switching to 68 he's just doing he's doing elongated passages of like densely clustered triplets but then he's snapping back onto 44 at the end of the phrase. Yeah, well, I mean, is, you know, and yeah, honestly, I mean, that's that's a lot of metal. That's the whole Slayer trick, right? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but um, but yeah, so so he's doing that there. But at the beginning of the song, it's a much more straightforward, like eighth note accented big chug riff. So it's slower. But when he brings the riff back later in the song, it comes back like twice or something, right? It comes back in this sort of mutated and more intense form that I like a lot. I think that might be another trick he's using out of a lot of these songs is like he shows you the initial version of the riff, kind of like simple, oh. and then he just keeps piling and piling on uh, and it gets more and, yeah. He actually wrote the riff at the end first, and then it's like, you haven't even seen my final form. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like, built, yeah, he's building, he's starting from the most complicated version, which is like the one he came up with on guitar originally, mm-hmm. and then he's like, how do I strip this down, and how do we get from point A to point Z? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, what else you got? Uh, <coughs> me? Oh, a little old me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. I've got mine, <coughs> my samples in the middle of yours. So, uh, um, 
similar things I'm interested in here. Um, this is on somniferous propaganda. Also towards the end of the song, which again suggests that there's a lot worth sticking around for in terms of individual songs here. Um, one thing I thought, this is where I'll talk about the titles real quick. It's just like, I feel like a game in Brutal Death, right, is that you take the most massive thesaurus words you possibly can and you slam them together without really particularly caring about whether the result makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and and I get that that's like a convention, but it also I think it's a convention that started because people did that in a a more uh, earnest way, would be my guess. Yeah, like suffocation. Um, yeah, yeah. So you get the... Um, the interesting thing is that, right, so this guy, I presume, I mean, who knows, but it sounds like he's not, and English is a first language speaker, but he... He uses he's like he uses these big thesaurus English thesaurus words to say things that ba that like make sense much more <laughs> so than many bands from the U.S. or England would. Um, so you get like uh, yeah, cataclysmic phantasmal portrait. Okay, well we can imagine what that is. Uh, you get uh, somniferous propaganda is this one, and I, I liked that because it's sort of like okay, well what does somniferous mean? Well it would have to mean something like sleep bearing or sleep bringing. Right? And so, mm -hmm. and it's got a nice double meaning in it, which I'm guessing is, it's supposed to, in part, you know, propaganda will both, like, uh, you know, it's the propaganda that lulls to sleep, right? That brings sleep to the mind, mm -hmm. right? On the, you know, ye old opiate of the masses. On the other hand, it's, uh, like, propaganda puts you to sleep. I think of the yeah, mind-numbing cable news cycle. To it. <laughs> exactly. Mind-numbing cable news cycle or whatever, right? It's just, you know, or, uh, you know, the, the, the incredible dreariness of living in a, uh, you know, like Russia and for the last 20 years of the Soviet Union or whatever, right? People I actually, like, looking at the sequencing of the tracks, I think there is sort of like a a weird, like, modernist social commentary thing going on, because it, we begin the record with avarice and thirst for power, and mm. then at the exact middle point is the well of knowledge, and it concludes with vapid existence. Yeah, you know, there, that makes there, sense. There's, there's an arc here about, you know, pursuing knowledge and power, and then it ultimately being empty, which is, oh, that's pretty neat, I like that. Yeah, yeah, so basically there's 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 a lot, there, there's a lot more than meets the eye with this one. Um... And uh, let's just listen through the end of this. Here is um, here's a heavy part. All right.
Yeah, that might that might actually be the most floor punching riff in this uh, in this record. That that big fucking breakdown riff is fucking killer. Oh, that's awesome! And you know, um, it's got this rolling breakdown quality to it. But the the turnaround again is some more of that sort of uh, ulcerate cowboy mastodon riffing, which um, makes it that much heavier. Um, I, I think a thing that makes We've been hearing a ton of bands using things kind of like that. Um, and one thing that makes it so good here is that he's not... Some bands use that technique to generate dissonance. Mm-hmm. Which is fair enough. Like, um... Anko Kirkiasis, right, takes that and uses it to generate, yeah. you know, just atrocious sounds. And, you know, it takes it to a more DSO kind of place. But here, it's, um... Uh, like... Here it's just being used to write riffs. Like, uh, well, it's it's also used to provide, in contrast to distance, like islands of coherent melody. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly, yes, yeah. Like, like it's, kind um, of rising from this morass of like crazy chromatic shit, you'll mm-hmm. have these brief moments of delicate melody that provide <laughs> contrast. So, because a lot of this music can naturally just feel like it's blowing past you because it's all yes going a hundred miles an hour all the time. That's a pretty good economical way to give these songs weight, even after you're used to this kind of style. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's just that we're pulling highlights, but I feel like maybe over maybe there's actually already more of those kinds of moments than I thought. I think there are. Um because yeah. that's like a, a specific technique, those these sort of like ethereal uh, usually they're they're usually at the ends of riffs. They're kind of turnarounds before mm-hmm. yes. diving back into yeah, the yeah, chromatic yeah. stuff, and I think they're used pretty. Yeah, using them as a turnaround is the mastodon thing. That's really what. It's, uh, oh, okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. no, it's a. Uh, I, I mean, that seems to be something that he fixates on. I mean, this is a. This is a brutal death record with very distinct parts that get used repeatedly and rearranged, in the way that like. Like in a black metal band's like certain melodic phrases. Yeah. We'll keep yeah. popping up. Yeah, this is yes, this is in some ways, yeah. Although he's composing in a very different method from riff, riff, riff. This mm-hmm. has many I mean, maybe in a less obvious way, but this has many of the pleasures of uh just cool fucking riffy music. Yeah. I I would agree. Uh, so speaking of which, back to uh, the motivic songwriting and back to, well, we're going to have, again, another one of these sort of open melodic figures. And uh, before you mentioned Mastodon, I said Ulcerate, or as I talked more and more Brutal Death guys, I think a lot of them are pulling it from Disentomb. Um, but Disentomb are clearly listening to Ulcerate, so all same thing, mm-hmm. ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um so you're going to have two really cool rhythmic figures kind of contrasting against each other very early on in the song. Um, then you're going to get a giant pinch harmonic riff, uh, which, of course, you're going to love. And then it's going to open up into one of those kind of ulcerator mastodon sections and then into uh, sort of a more traditional Asiatic like New York death metal proto slam section. Just lots of very cool ideas progressing very rapidly blink and you'll miss them check it out
Dude, that riff at the end is really cool. Well, yeah, and then you get to hear him use both of those primary techniques at the same time, where he's doing... He's bringing back... It's basically the same figure as the first time he does that kind of Mastodon Ulcerate riff. And then he brings it back, and then he's doing tiny variations on it, even while it's just being explored. Like, sometimes he's arpeggiating it, sometimes he's doing it as, like, a flat, dissonant chord. Um, it's, it's just really smart. And, Jesus, just the array of rhythmic ideas that are getting played with. I, I want to, like, listen to this song at 50% speed. Just so I can hear every note, you know. Dude, that might sound pretty cool. Hang on, I'm about to give that a shot. So, <laughs> um, so uh, I'm sure everyone remembers the uh, "Ride the Lightning" at 33 RPM or whatever rip. <laughs> that that was legendary. Um, let me let me give this a shot. Or oh, wait, I just sped it up. Sorry, Freudian slip. I'm trying it too, dude. How's it going? Connor here from Oncology, and you're listening to Terminus. Alright, and we are back from some uh, greasy southern fried brutal death with uh, some greasy southern fried uh, Swedish black death metal, courtesy of uh, <laughs> Foss Ayla, uh, whose Abnegation Psalms is out pretty recently on Sunshine Ward. Sunshine Ward, a label that we've uh, this is out in March. A label we've called some attention to in the past. Uh, it's got a pretty unique aesthetic. It's named after an amoebic song. Um, and it's... Uh, but although it has that name, it, it's very... It's sort of extreme metal plus the most... Uh, authentically extreme metal parts of Crust. So, you know, a lot of stuff stuff in the amoebics vein. He did a reissue of uh, Stig's band, post-amoebic Zygote, a little while ago. Um, and, uh, the, the common threads through the metal bands are difficult, difficult to describe, but it has, a, a lot of the bands have a sort of very gritty nineties underground kind of, uh, Celtic, not artwork feel. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, these, this band is, um, I think related as shares members at least with Apocryphetic, who actually have a a who have are more like a Christian type band or like a sort of blasting war death about band, um, and that band has a really sick uh, uh, spiked gauntlets and Celtic knot back uh, background picture. And I was like, well, I That's... like I like how you you mentioned in the notes that he is in a Apocryphetic, but you totally glossed over the fact that he's one of the main guys in Father Befouled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, and that's a big band that you know about and that I do not. Oh, I'm I'm a really I, I don't, we haven't really talked well, we, about we, them we on the show. Well, we we reviewed a related band, didn't we? Possibly at one point. No, no, we did. It, it was um it was like some pretty cool morbid angel sounding death metal in the fall, but it was a Father Befeld related band. I don't think it's Oh, it guy. was yeah, it was fucking uh ah oh, goddamn. Who was it? It was uh it was that demo comp yeah. It was uh, Conjureth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we haven't really talked about Father Befeld a whole lot, but they're actually, like, one of my favorite kind of nowadays death metal bands. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, just that relation got me pretty excited about this one. Word. So, um, this is uh, 
definitely uh, blacker death metal, or just, you know, black Swedish black death. Um, there's a nice connection to the ancient gate, in a sense that I think this is kind of one path, another path towards a kind of more raw, kind of uh, um, stripped-down version of the dark metal idea. Um, mm -hmm. And the conceit here seems to be uh, like... Oh, described as kind of like either side of dissection. That is, on the one hand, this really, like, more than... I keep saying more than anything else This sounds like Dawn. So, uh, or I keep saying, like, m more bands keep getting closer and closer to actually writing Dawn-type riffs. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this band definitely has a lot of Dawn in it. Um, especially the more uh, frenetic death metal Dawn riffs. Um mm -hmm. And uh, on the other hand, it moves more towards the heavy metal side of dissection in that this record is just like, I mean, you almost get the sense this guy might like Rian Chaos. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and if, if, if he doesn't, then the sense of heavy metal is coming. But, you know, it's not just that, you know, the Rian Chaos, I get why people don't like it. it. A lot of it sounds like the Black, I mean, some bangers on there, but it does kind of sound like the Black album. The idea of the idea of heavy metal on here is like kind of shoot from the hip, jammy, highly solo, improv based, um, kind of a, a very American Southern blues sounding heavy metal. Yeah, I can definitely hear that. Yeah. So, uh, I, so what I would say is, to me, this gives me a sense of like something that doesn't. Uh, something where the vision is clear, the overall concept is clear, but only as concept. That is, the concept is awesome, and the I don't think it's quite emerged as an overall song or song by song or album by album structure. I don't think there's quite a I don't think it quite coheres yet. However, both the concept is awesome and a ton of the individual riffs are just really really good. Uh, the individual riffs are awesome on this, um, and the. Uh, the overall performance happens with such like swagger and uh, a kind of swagger that I've and I, this is a one man project, isn't it? But yeah. But when I heard it, I assumed this was dudes in a band jamming, right? Um, and that can be in some tension with the more Swedish parts, which we'll get to. But like wanting to hear like more openness more improvisation more live feel in black metal is something i i've been harping on about for a while so definitely scratches that itch i think this band is awesome and i think this is a great i really enjoy listening to this i think it's just, it'll be the, the it'll be the next album that's awesome i would agree um i think that i think that for me i i agree that it hasn't entirely congealed yet but i think from kind of a different perspective in that I kind of like the way these songs hang together. Uh, here's a, a bizarre kind of shoot-from-the-hip comparison, but this reminds me of a lot of the stuff that was going on on that Trident record from last year. Um, yeah, but way more garagey. Yeah, certainly more garagey. Um, but... You know, I mean, kind of also like, then, if we're going there, kind of also like the Mark Grinning. Yeah, kind of like, like the more high as well. yeah. frenetic, high energy, lots of rock and rollisms. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think for me, um, 
So it, it was funny, you know, when I was doing the notes on this, it's like a lot of the stuff I have to say about this is very similar to what I said about perverted dexterity in that mm-hmm. this is a, a almost entirely guitar centered record. Um, this is a let me show you my riffs record, but in a very good way, because the riffs are all pretty uniformly awesome. Uh, I think this is a project that would benefit from being a full band. Like yeah, just having a, Yeah, having a few more hands in the pot to just kind of flesh out some of these songs, which can feel a little bit blocky as they are, which is one of the charms and one of the limitations of one-man extreme metal, like almost universally. Um, I, I guess the, the other thing that's a limitation for me is the production. Like, I kind of like the garagey feel, but it it feels pretty digital to me. It's got a sort of line-in, uh, slightly tinny quality that I don't really like. But I can I can listen past that and you hear know, what this has to offer. I, I anticipated you saying something about the production, and I thought, this is the time where I'll actually agree with the death metal guy about the production. Yeah, I, I it makes sense. You have a better ear for these things, so it makes sense that it's digital raw production. Because I was thinking... I generally like the idea of the tone he's going for here, kind of uh, mm-hmm. spacious, lots of free-flying, high-end, uh, that kind of cutting angle in the tone that I like. But it could, to me, it was just like, oh, this is one. This is a band where the tone could use some more body. Like, it could use some more mids. It could just sound a little... You could keep that raw sound and make it sound beefier, and I think that would be only for the best. Oh yeah, no. I just I, I think this was probably a direct in job at home, and I think that he's pretty good at mixing that for what he can do. But ultimately, it would be served better with something a little more fleshed out. All right, so we better uh, crack this open. Um, right. Speaking of which, uh, the unbroken seal, unbroken circle. Um, so here you'll get uh, both sides of the sonic equation uh, right from the get go.
So, yeah, pretty wild, right? Yeah. I I, I think this is, this is going to be a weird review in that, like, I feel like the samples you chose were mm-hmm. off songs that, like, I specifically didn't like. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I, I think there's different modes this album works on, and I think you picked up on ones that I didn't, really. Yeah, well, no, so, I mean, in part of why I chose, so, in part, this is awesome. That is, you get really sick, uh, um, sort of, uh, scornful, aristocratic Dawn riffing, which is really well done here. And then it just sort of, you get, uh, an attempt to sort of, once you hear the song all the way through and know where it's going, you can hear that the clean, the gothy cleans in the middle, which I like, Mm. are maybe the, an attempt to prepare for the sudden transition, but then the sudden transition hits, right? And it's just like, whoa, dude, shit. That, uh, you know, th- th- there was how much in that in that brownie? Like, um, <laughs> It just decelerates out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. And so <coughs> that's obviously like, there's such like a sense of fun throughout this record. And it's just so like, uh, <laughs> you, you, you listen to something like that. And you're like, holy shit, he just did that. And it's like, it's hilarious and cool, right? Oh, yeah. No, I so, think I, I think there's a... There, I think you mentioned it in your notes. There's a good humor to this record. Yes, you, this guy is very aware of like some of the absurdity of yeah. what he's doing here. And this gets like an eleven out of ten for attitude. I think. In, oh yeah. In every second. But like, so he does that, and you get that it's supposed to be jarring. Okay, right? Let's ex- let's take that for granted. We've got the jarring transition. It's part of the fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Still. The constitutive challenge of this project is how do you bring those two halves together? Because the distinctive... Sure, this guy could have just an awesome Dawn Worship band, but for that he'd need a full band, and that's clearly not what he's interested in doing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You, uh... Yeah, how do you bring those two halves closer together? So, the the problem is, um... In some sense, it's like... You're dealing with the least relaxed genre of music in human history, which is Swedish black <laughs> death metal, um, com- combined with the uh, like a very relaxed style of music. The thing that really gets me isn't even so much the shift in tonality there. Like, it's the way that um, the g- drums sink into this uh, this sort of stoner rock pocket groove. Dum 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 dum. Dom, dom, slow syncopation, mm-hmm. doom kind of thing, and the, I, I like there. You know, there's a noodly quality to the guitar, but that's fine. He's like soloing, and it's like a pretty cool solo. But mm-hmm. like the guitar is being played in this sort of um, loose, let your balls swing in your bell bottoms kind of way, right? <laughs> and like um, that, like it's very very far from um you know the uh the, the boys in dawn with the uh you know in the throne room with the uh the dude with his collar all the way buttoned up scowling from the throne and the halberds <laughs> behind him um and and like there's got to be some way to integrate this more so it could even just be for me like could you do the bluesy parts but more intense well i think you know like i think <coughs> or or how do you make the dawn stuff sound more stoned on which I have a few suggestions, but, you know. Well, I think the answer is kind of in the sample already. Like, the one thing you skipped over, which was that kind of, like, brief, slowed-down melodeath passage right before the solo kicks in. 
I think mm-hmm. that sort of thing could be used as a great sort of connective tissue I, between the disparate ends. I agree, and I think um, I that my next sample will deal with that. I, that yeah, that, that is a thing. But even so, I'd just like, you know, you're playing extreme metal. I'd like to hear more intensity in the bluesy stuff. It doesn't even mean changing the tempo, per se. Just like... Uh, you know, I was thinking a good comparison would be the solo on the first track. There's an awesome solo on the first track. It does noodle a little bit at the end, but again, it's good noodling. Um, mm-hmm. And it would sound less noodly if this is on the end of Ascending Temple, if he just played it harder. Um, and <laughs> I was thinking of like um, good parallel, someone who nails this in terms of having like free flowing rock and roll type soloing that feels like extreme metal is rich Walker from solstice. Mm, Um, Okay. I suspect solstice is an influence here. Um, but like if you could solstice it out more in terms of just this, like, uh, um, balls to the, instead of balls swinging in the bell bottoms, balls to the wall intensity, that would suture it up a bit. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, not to harp on it too much, a lot of it might come down to production. A lot of this just would... This say guy fighting against the tide of this production. And if he had Um, a drummer, the drummer could make that part. You could have a similarly swaggery rhythm, and the drummer could probably make it heavier, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd be able to swing it out in a more natural way without Mm -hmm. a drum machine. Um, Okay, so for me, A Serpent in the Violet of Dusk. Um, this is really just kind of a, a cool set of Swedish Black Death riffs. I have ideas for where they may come from. I've been leaning into Sacramentum for a lot of mm-hmm. the Black Death stuff on this, but you would know better than me. And mm-hmm. this also has another great, hilarious, awesome solo on it. And uh, this, is, this is just where I have my affection for this record it's just the the energy is really infectious on it and uh it's hard to deny the sense of fun across this whole thing (laughs) all right
Yeah, so that's an example of the shit that I like most on this record. Like, yeah, that was all sick. Those and there those was some higher were... intensity solo in there too. Yeah, well, it's a that solo is really cool. You know, he's mm-hmm. doing that little staggered like upbeat phrasing. You know, when he first punches in with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, what the solo reminds me a lot of is a band we've mentioned a couple times of the show, which is Ill Disposed from Denmark, mm-hmm. who who do melodic death metal, but with this like absurdly over the top kind of masculine swagger to it. Mm-hmm. It's it is motorcycle. It's motorcycle Melodeth, you know. Yeah, like like the Crown. <clears throat> oh yeah, we've never talked about the Crown. The Crown is amazing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, crown the Crown is, is a great cool. band. I think I have a new one coming out soon. Um, yeah. Um, so obviously, uh, solo is completely over the top and fucking awesome. The the riffs themselves there's something about this record a lot of the riffs a lot of the arrangements on this kind of tease at the edges of your memory like they sound they sound like riffs you've heard before but you just can't place them and i'm wondering if you know what some of this stuff is connected because obviously there was i mean there was one big kind of nastier dawn riff on this yes yeah but, yeah, yeah. But this is a lot more florid than a lot of the stuff you were playing. I'm wondering, what do you connect this with? Because I'm thinking of, like, ill-disposed, old, dark tranquility, Sacramentum at their kind of most florid. I think Sacramentum never, um, I think old, dark tranquility, or, uh, yeah, like, parts of this just, you know, there were these other bands that are, I vaguely know of, that are, like, really missing link kind of bands, like Gates of Ishtar or The Stone, um... Like, these are things that I, like, checked out on the internet, like, a decade ago, right? But, mm-hmm. um, uh, they're, they're really kind of like, oh, this is kind of like, this is Mellow Death, Black Death, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one I think of, some of the song titles seem to suggest shit like both Dark Tranquility and a Canaris Quintet. Um, Maybe Winterland. Yeah, yes. I think in terms of the stuff that sounds, yeah. So, like, most of the riffs on there sounded, they had that rippy, the, the, the speedy thrash beat quality of Maladeth, and they had the, um, uh, a lot of the sort of, just the shapes of the, the arpeggios and whatever had this kind of, um, quality that, that would be, make sense for Winterland, Winterland, yeah, and for, mm-hmm. for Dark Tranquility. I think... It's, it's, I think what he's got is a very full... We just reviewed some other band like this, didn't we, recently? That had a very kind of... Oh, that was Devour, uh, Devoured. Had this, like... It was just like, okay, Devoured is from Indonesia. is just influenced by all Swedish death metal. Prior to, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Prior to 1996, right? So it's just like, you know, throw, throw it all in there. This has a very capacious concept of Swedish black death, I think. It's like mm-hmm. he listens to all of it. Um... Would be my uh, would would be sort of I think the idea, and he 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 is not um, he's not isolating or fetishizing any one aspect of it in the way that you know younger dudes do when they make a club mm-hmm. band. Um, yeah, I can see. And that. like, and he he understands that it's related to Melodeath, and that if you play in this style, you can get at the coolest parts of Melodeath without some of the lamer parts. Yeah. That's fair. Okay, what do you got? All right. Um. Uh. Let's see. We've got um. Her eyes within the orchid. That is a super Canaris Quintet type title. Um. 
So, um, this is, we're gonna start with some very Dawn riffing, um, and this will never go too far away from that, that will remain as kind of a touchstone in the song, but it's gonna go, we're gonna, the harmonies are in mood are gonna get transformed a bit in a way that I think points to the, this is getting back to your point about bridging riffs, riffs that bridge, mm-hmm. melodic, melodic, melodic ideas and riffs that bridge between the two styles. Here, I think, is a very potent direction for this band in terms of the way they metamorphose this original idea. So, Her Eyes Within the Orchid, uh, get ready to windmill headbang. So in a lot of ways, the ways I'm being kind of critical here is definitely tough love because that was just a sequence of uh, everything I like about extreme metal. Oh, yeah, it's just insane. And metal in general and, you know, like music. Um, uh, So the general arc of that is you've got this, you know, this storming black death, right? And then it sort of throws you into just this massive vertical seeming riff that just arcs between gothic arches between these kind of pedal points, these chugs and these like runs up the fretboard, right? And it, it sort of, and there's two phrases that trade and one is a little more of the, as the slightly grimmer inflection and the other starts to feel a lot more kind of Celtic or 
or maybe uh, Anglisk, if we're dealing with solstice, um, and uh, sort of a British, British, medieval British Isles kind of vibe. And then that intensifies to the point where you get that just uh, wailing kind of... Uh, wailing kind of folk heavy metal riffing again really solstice-y and uh a couple different melodies with those ideas just awesome soloing um you know what i said to the death metal guy during it was uh my tartan is swinging in the breeze and all the lassies can see my balls um <laughs> and uh and like that whole thing is just fucking sick um and what is happening there in part is that the Rock and rollisms are coming in, not so much as bluesisms, but in conjunction with the, uh, with the more pentatonic feel of the Celtic-y or British-y stuff, um, and that harmonic space of like medieval European pentatonic can work as a bridge between the more kind of severe Scandinavian stuff and the more kind of uh, you know. Uh, swaggering Americana stuff. Um, yeah, I can get that. Yeah, I mean, that is the mm -hmm. fundamental connective tissue between rock and roll and this style of metal is that bridging idea of, like, Anglo-Celtic folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just pentatonic scales and shit. So, I think that part... I, I, I think that whole sequence is just brilliant. And uh, I think if you could fire more like that throughout, it would be... Uh, it would be tighter. Yeah, I can see that. And uh, I'll wrap things up with my sample. This is off uh, An Empire of Order, Silver Twilight, Golden Dawn. Ah, love that. That's so absurd. It's great. <laughs> um, and you know what? Here you go. This is just totally self-indulgent. This is some more of uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Black Metal right here. And... Uh, what I wrote was, I want to injure myself on a 15 stair to this right now.
and there we get all the uh we get all the punk and like trad metal there yeah that's another one of your places where you'd be like this is like rough power metal right oh yeah definitely that dun 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 yeah that's Mm -hmm. that's a sped up jag bands riff all yeah i mean that was also awesome and there again the sort of um even not just the soul itself but even the loose feel in the solo worked there because there was a kind of organic sort of deceleration Mm -hmm. um but yeah no that that whole part rips um yeah no i just i i love the arrangement of just like fuck it we're we're late in the album let's just rip out all these kind of punky riffs right here Mm -hmm. let's do (laughs) let's uh let's let's kick flip while uh, wielding swords unsafely yes i think that is what he uh i think that the lyrics at the end were about that this is certainly sword boy music um Absolutely. This is definitely a jam for the Sword Boy Summer. And uh, the last thing I want to say is just like one of the great unique things about this band, I feel is like is if, if he played a live show with a band, I think that like if you sort of ironically shouted Freebird from the audience, they could play it on the spot with blast beats. 